Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. We have a very special episode. It's going to be a roundtable episode. We have a lot of questions, a lot of little topics that we wanted to cover. And we wanted to bring back some fan favorites and, and our personal favorites here to, to talk to us about them. So joining me today, as always, is my co-host and friend, Lizzie Ross. Lizzie, how are you? Woo woo. Oh, I'm good. Wow. That was exciting. That I was know. exciting. I know. Um, and we're going to put in some special effects. We're going to do eh, some eh, post-production eh. stuff. Yeah. And joining us also, Dr. Ryan Marino, emergency room physician and toxicologist. Ryan, how are you? I'm great. Hello. It's good to have you back, buddy. And joining us again for his second appearance on the show is Dr. Will Flannery. You probably know him as Dr. Glockham Flecken. He is an ophthalmologist. And I think now that the other TikTok doc is gone, I think now you are the TikTok doctor. Is that correct? I don't know if I want that. That, yeah. that, uh, that name but <laughs> <laughs> you're the new tiktok think, doctor what could be think, wrong with that i think i can die there's there's lots of other tiktok doctors out there though so thank you guys both for coming on we really appreciate it um let's get right to it huh let's get right to it i have questions that i want all of you answered this includes you lizzie i want you to mm-hmm. to weigh in on this uh let's start with you ryan i want to talk first about the j and j pause the pause of the vaccine. So uh, just to recap it, nearly all the states have now paused the vaccine. By the time this episode comes out, that might have changed. It might have restarted it because of six rare cases of clotting that occurred in about 7.2 million vaccines that were given. They were all women between the ages of 18 to 48, and they developed this uh, rare clotting disorder within about two weeks of vaccination. One woman actually died from it. So there was some serious outcomes, and a second has been hospitalized in critical condition. It's a little different than the typical clotting we see. It's uh, cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. So it's these clots that form in the veins that drain the blood from the brain. There's no neurologist here, but 
you know, Dr. Glockenfleck is probably the closest thing to that. Um, so they, they put a pause on this. So I, the first question I have for you, Ryan, is what do you think? Was it a mistake to pause it um, or was it the right move? So it was absolutely not a mistake. This is the system we have in place, which is the reason why I feel so confident in vaccines in general and why I can say sentences like vaccines are safe because we have these safeguards. Um, what's going to be lost in kind of as usual in any sort of like science or, or medicine topic being presented by headline news uh, is that we don't know that the vaccine is causing these. I mean, there's a high likelihood that it would um, and seeing an effect that we see from the coronavirus, these, these kind of bizarre um, or more rare and abnormal blood clots uh, is something that we see with COVID-19. So it makes sense that a vaccine against this illness would have some, some similar side effects if it's doing its job well. Um, and so in my mind, there's kind of two problems here. Uh, we see the people who are against vaccines who are latching onto this as the vaccines are unsafe and no, the vaccines are still safe. Uh, this is a very effective vaccine. If it ends up that the vaccine was the cause of these blood clots, we just don't, don't need to use it in kind of young women. Um, but, but it still has been safe in the other 7 million people who have received it. Um, and on the other hand, there's people who are saying that this is overkill, that we shouldn't have done this. And I mean, I think those people are really missing the point. Uh, you, you wouldn't want one of your family members to be the one woman who had this, these cerebral uh, venous sinus thromboses are essentially a stroke. You can't treat them the same way for kind of the, anyone not medical who's listening. You can't just treat these with blood thinners. Uh, it's, it's not like any, any other blood clot. Um, and so if this was your family member who died from a stroke, who was an otherwise healthy young woman, it, it would probably not be a good thing. So in my mind, this was the absolutely right thing to do. It gives me more confidence in the FDA and the CDC and the regulations that we have on the vaccines. Um, and it makes me more confident about the Johnson and Johnson vaccine because people are investigating it. We have a signal from 7 million doses and we'll see what comes out of it. All right. And now with a completely different opinion, <laughs> Doc, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. What do you, <laughs> what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I think he said it all. Like, I don't think I can add on to that. I do know that I have not seen a, a giant influx of uh, patients in clinic thinking they have cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, which is, uh, which is great. I haven't, I haven't had a, a bunch of uh, referrals uh, to, to look for papilledema. And so, um, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's scary though, to read about, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that adverse of an outcome. Yeah. Um, and so I, 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 I agree with everything Ryan said. I think he really hit the nail on the head and, um, it's a, uh, um, you know, it's a big moment for the coagulation cascade. I will say that. It's reputation is on the line here. <laughs> and, um, there's a, you know, it's, it's got some, they get the, they got to get the PR hematologist on this and, uh, and hopefully yeah, I have every confidence though, that our kind of the regulatory bodies will, will figure this out. And, and like Ryan said, just kind of do its job and, and um, make sure this is uh, safe enough to proceed with. I have, um, I have two analogies and they're both plain analogies because I have sometimes a fear of flying, but one is I remember I was in New York city in nine 11 um, you know, when the Twin Towers went down. And I remember thinking that the safest day to fly would be on September 12th. Like that was a safe day to fly. And the other one is I was kind of uh, boarding a plane 
And then something hit the plane. I think it was lightning and we had to leave the plane. And then they sent photos to like headquarters and engineers came. And then we got on the plane four hours later. And I remember people being worried. I'm like, this is the safest plane that you could get on right now. And I think it's the same thing. And what Ryan's saying, I think is true. I think it gives me more faith and more trust in the system because when something doesn't go A, B, C, D, it veers off course to X, Y, Z too soon. And you take a step back and reevaluate. I think that's great checks and balances. And, and it just gives you, it should give people, I hope more confidence, but then you talk about PR and social media and anti-vaxxers probably just latching on to anything that they can. And it's just, it that's, shouldn't be given credibility. That, that's my question is for you guys and for myself, this all like makes us feel more comfortable and more confident in the way we've been doing this and the way we're getting our vaccines. But what do you guys think this is doing to the public perception? Do you think this has increased the public perception of safety in the process? Or do you think it, ha- or do you think it hasn't? My gut reaction is that it hasn't uh, because you know, the first thing you see, at least the first thing the public's going to think and see is are the, kind of the main news outlets uh, just talking about how, uh, about this issue in a way that's not from the perspective of a physician. You know, we're, we're in our little medical circle here. And, uh, and so we come at this uh, topic from a totally different, you know, more scientific perspective. Um, and so I worry a lot about the public seeing this and 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 not understanding uh, you know the point of view that that Ryan so eloquently stated I don't think this was good for the public um, and I think there's two two big problems that could could be addressed here one is that I mean bodies like the FDA and the CDC are doing their job to make sure vaccines are safe but they're not doing their job when it comes to misinformation about things like vaccines and other health topics. And this isn't something new. The rise of kind of anti-vaccine sentiment and like very vocal uh, anti-vaccine movement has been going on for decades now. And there has not been a good response from organizations like the CDC uh, to address that. And the the news media too also kind of needs to do a better job with their scientific reporting um, headlines saying that the vaccine is being paused because it causes blood clots when it maybe caused six blood clots out of seven million people is kind of misleading. Um, but that's kind of the the standard for for headline news. It's uh, a study in mice where they lost lost weight after drinking something is now you should have twenty five cups of coffee a day and you'll lose weight. Um, <laughs> which sure might work. <laughs> um, if you're in an elevator with uh, someone who is hesitant about getting the vaccine or they're not sure about it, and you're going to make that elevator pitch to them to do it, and you have limited time to do it, what's your selling points for the three of you? Let's, let's start with, with you, Dr. Glockenflecken. What's your uh, starting point? Um, I would... Uh... I would start if I have. Uh, hopefully, it's a long elevator ride. Um, yeah, it's like twelve floors. We're going up a good a good set of, of, yeah. of floors. Okay, um, and people are getting on and off, and we got to get up to like the 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 twentieth, thirtieth floor. Yeah, okay. someone's farted in there. It's uncomfortable. It's hot. There's too many people. You're uncomfortable with the mask. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, somebody paused it. 
Well, I, I honestly, I really feel like kind of the average person responds well to, um, in a situation like that, responds well to anecdotes, right? Like your own personal experience. And so as a, as a physician who sees exclusively pretty much people in the you know, 65 plus uh, age range, I would, I would talk about every single patient so far in the last few weeks I've seen almost has, has gotten that vaccine, has been very excited about it and, and, uh, and how uh, just the, the amount of enthusiasm that there's been out in the community, you know, as a community physician, that I see um, is uh, is really it really gets me excited about uh, about you know the number of vaccinations that are ongoing. So I just I, I would focus on that piece of uh, you know my experience as a physician and what I'm seeing in the community. Yeah, I mean I think the this has been a pretty tremendous past few months. Over a hundred million people have received one one dose of the vaccine so far. Um, we're vaccinating three to four million people a day. If there were serious side effects, we'd be seeing them. Um, and I mean, we were able to capture this one one small signal of six people. So someone really is watching out very, very seriously. Um, I will say that when the vaccines first came out, I was texting my boss uh, around the clock asking when I was going to be able to get mine uh, and got, took the first available appointment and had no real significant adverse effects. Uh, I couldn't be happier with it. Yeah. 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 I don't, I mean, it works. Let's make this thing just a common cold. That would be my pitch. You know, it's, yeah. that's, that's our goal. And, um, and I, and it seems like we can get there. I don't think people are going to be comfortable maybe being maskless for a long time, but, um, you know, rational people, <laughs> the people who are never pro mask are not going to be pro mask now, but I mean, that's the goal. Right. Um, and that these numbers and, um, risks and side effects are, are really small in the scheme of things and we want to get back to normal. That's how I pitch it. The weirdest thing to me is that the people who are the most against the vaccine are the ones who are also the most against like staying at home, isolating, wearing a mask. It's just anti-establishment, right? It's just like ar yeah. arguing for yeah. argument's sake, right? I, I, I'm actually not that, I guess I'm, I'm not that concerned that this is going to affect, this pause is going to affect public perception at all everyone who's already gonna want to not to find a reason to not take the vaccine they already have one you know this just gives them something else to say and then the the reasonable people for the most part that um want to take a vaccine they're gonna get one and that very small group that might be swayed by it i think with time they're gonna see that this was uh, all part of the rational plan and and it won't affect them in the long run that's my that's my thought about it i don't know if it's totally accurate but for me, my, my pitch is just, you know, I know a lot of doctors, they would, they typed out, you know, like when it came to Twitter, they would write things like, I can't wait to get vaccinated so I can hug my, my patients or my parents, or I can make sure my colleagues don't get sick, or I can protect the people around me. I mean, for me, I'm like, I did it 99% for me, because I don't want to get COVID and I don't want to die from it if I get it. <laughs> so it's like, for me, for me, for me. And, and I think it's okay to be selfish in that regards. And for people to know, it's not just about the community, which is a big part of it, but it's also about protecting yourself. It's just, I mean, for me, it's a no brainer. So, so our job before was say get vaccines. And I think our job is still that <laughs> and to minimize, yeah. to minimize all the complications. That's, I have so many patients. I don't know if you Kaveh, like 
I have a colonoscopy coming up. Should I get my vaccine? I have this coming up. Should I get my vaccine? Uh, and, uh, and I, everything, my email is like, yes, get the vaccine a hundred percent. No, like no matter what they say, I have my Humira infusion next week, you know, injection there, every scenario, I just write back, yes, get the vaccine. I should just create like a phrase, you know, we call them dot phrases in our, in our computer system. Like I, an hear, that. Automatic, I hear that a lot. I cataract surgeries too. Yeah. Maybe people are just looking for reasons to not get it. I don't know, but I'm not going to be that reason. You know, I'm not going to be your excuse. Um, but so totally switching gears. Um, this thing that's come out that's now federally mandated, and um, I'm not sure if it impacts you as much, uh, Dr. Glockenflecken, but uh, these are new federal rules that went into effect in the last few weeks where everything is now, everything that we write as physicians and nurses and techs are visible to patients. The, the term is called open notes, um, has gone into effect. And I was on call over the weekend, and this has been going on for again, I think two weeks where I work and it's actually impacted me already. Um, and again, for an ophthalmologist, I have to say, I have no idea what your notes say to begin with. And I'm a doctor, so I don't think it will impact you too much. Like all your abbreviations, I, to this day, I have no idea. I don't know if, uh, Kave and, uh, Dr. Marino yeah, can I support me in that. <laughs> notes. I, I assume ophthalmology notes are just a picture of the eyeball it's and like nothing. an X on certain it's, places. That's not good. It's just, just all, it's all hieroglyphics. That's, it's that's it's hieroglyphics. So for people who don't know, it's just a lot of acronyms. It's like O-R-E-R-B-B. Like I don't, I'd have to look it up and Google every single kind of thing in your notes. So I don't think it actually applies to you, but for like coffee, um, maybe you want to, I don't know if you've had any experiences yet, but like what you guys think. The premise is that if a patient can log into their portal and log into their chart and see what we're writing and what we're thinking and our notes and the pathology reports and the CAT scan results, that they'll be more knowledgeable, more empowered, better advocates for themselves, and maybe even more trusting of doctors because things will be transparent. I think that there's maybe some phobia that doctors are always withholding and I don't, I may be lying and maybe trying to get more money. Like, I don't really know. Um, it, to me, it's still like, I'm happy to be a doctor. I'm proud. I feel like it's a noble profession. I think that the goal is always to try to help people, whether it's physically or psychologically. But um, there's a lot of pro, you know, reasons and advocates for doing it. And I can see a lot of downsides. And again, I can, after you guys give your thoughts on it, I'd, I'd like to share some of the experience I've already had in these past two weeks with it. So, um, Kaveh, have you experienced it at all? And do you have opinions about it? Yeah. So the the basic premise of what you're getting to is that like intrinsically in our notes that doctors write about patients, we write them really for other doctors to see. We write them so other doctors who then will see the chart later have a, not only a sense of what medically we think is happening, but there's other things that we put into the chart too sometimes. Um, we try to give a full picture of what we feel is going on with the patient. Sometimes we speak in a different language. We use sometimes coded language, to be quite honest. There are ways that doctors talk about a patient that, it, that say a lot. Is most of that necessary? Probably not. So it doesn't bother me that much. I'm never like finding myself in a position now where I'm like, oh, I was about to say this patient is a dick. And now I can't say that this patient's a dick because they might see their chart. I'm never in that position. I think a big takeaway is that I, I would like to argue that all of our notes in the chart are professional and respectful. So like the thought of being outed or a patient reviewing that 
shouldn't be a terrifying prospect, right? Because we're never this, like you said, this patient's a dick. You know, I've used words like frustrated, you know, seems angry or upset. You know, I honestly, I rarely use those words and I rarely use things like this is a very pleasant person, even if they're awesome. Like I just don't use that because I don't think that is appropriate in the chart. I think that's very subjective and I'm trying to be objective and or say things like, I, I think that this is what's going on, you know? So Ryan, have you, have you had that experience yet? Have you heard uh, patients or colleagues talk about it yet? Not since the, the new like legal changes. I mean, there's always been cases of people who will get access to their charts and demanded that certain things be changed. And so I think a lot of the argument here centers around kind of two issues, um, whether the providers should be describing patients in certain ways. Um, so I mean, terms like drug seeker is something that comes up a lot in my line of work. Um, and so from my end, I hope that kind of knowing that patients could have access to this will make those things go away a lot easier and a lot quicker because uh, providers are not willing to take those out of their vocabulary. But on the other end, like Kaveh was saying, I mean, I think if we're writing a note uh, that's going into the medical record, we want this for like other other clinicians to be able to see and know what's going on. But now if we're writing it, thinking that a patient's going to be reading it, that's kind of a, a different note in my mind. Um, so I hope that kind of the same information is able to, to be conveyed. Um, but well, I think there will be some overall good things. Another thing to remember, I think that we all do know, is that patients could always see our notes, just not in real time, right? So we were always mm-hmm. writing it thinking that if you if you got sued, <laughs> you know, a lawyer would subpoena it. Or a patient could always, if they were transferring care, they would they would always seek to get their medical records. And instead of writing drug-seeking behavior, I would, you know, I think the new trend is going to be patients, you know, doctors are going to write things like, patient is asking for Dilaudid, you know, or quote, unquote, patient says, I need Dilaudid. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you do it that way, that's going to just be a different, a different language and a different writing style. What's your opinion? I think it's, it's, um, it certainly seems like this will affect and other specialties, other areas of medicine a little bit more than, than some, like ophthalmology, for instance. <laughs> because yeah. to be honest, I wasn't even aware of this um, until, <laughs> until uh, I did a right TikTok. Uh, where, no, no, I, I recently did a TikTok uh, about uh, using the word purulent versus pussy. Uh, That's really uh, funny, by the way. Wait, wait, wait. That's how do you, my, how, how do you spell pussy? Is that the question? How yeah, do you spell yeah. pussy? Yeah. Well, that's that's the the whole kind of premise. Yeah. And um and then people started talking in the comments about the, the this being like a, a a jab at open notes or something. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. I was like, <laughs> what, what what is open notes? And it's just um you know in, in specialties like ophthalmology, it's it, it's it's such it's such a narrow focus, and we don't deal with a lot of sensitive subjects that you would consider sensitive, like drug use, like, you know, um, and so it's, uh, it's very pointed discussions. And, and so I, I, we, a lot of times we give our after visit summary, right, to the patient, like as they're leaving. And so it's, it's, to me, it's, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but I can totally understand uh, where, where you guys are coming from, especially if you're dealing with a patient uh, in, in the hospital with, um, you know, there's some diagnostic uncertainty, you're trying to figure this out, you don't want to 
I could see how you, you might want to not want to come across as like you don't know what's going on because the patient could see. I, mean, I, I don't know. You know, this is just kind of me, you know, projecting, but um, uh, I could certainly see how it, it could be a little bit more challenging. Well, one of the big issues that, um, that I encountered was uh, being on call over the weekend. I got a message from uh, a peer, a doctor who, was, who said, you know, I just had an MRI done. I just got the results and it's Sunday. I'm so sorry to bother you, but I'm freaking out. And, and honestly, the person's a doctor. They could have figured out the results through just looking through the computer. But patients now on Saturdays and Sundays and 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. are going to be logging in and looking at their CAT scan results and their biopsy results. And they're going to be freaking out because there's no clinical interpretation. There's no human being to coach them through what it means. And, and that's what I see. And then, then they're going to be reaching out on the weekends and nights. And they're going to get the on-call doctor who's never met them. And it's I do see it's fraught with problems and maybe there should be, maybe open notes should only be available from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Because like an ophthalmologist, (laughs) like a banker (laughs) or an ophthalmologist, you know, and I also have um, another story where um, a family member was logged into their person's record and that person was getting surgery. And during surgery, as many people can imagine, there's a lot of blood loss and a lot of shifts in sodium and potassium and they were freaking out. The family was like, oh my God, the hemoglobin is seven and it should be 14 and that's half their, and they were freaking out as the patient was in the operating room. And, you know, there's, there's oh, a wow. lot of problems with it, you know, and I, it wasn't my yeah. experience, but I can just, I can envision a, a lot of issues and there, there have to be boundaries just like with everything. And I don't know how we can implement that. It seems like an all or nothing thing, you know? That last example seems to, yeah, that's pretty extreme to me. Yeah. That's the same reason we don't let family into operating rooms and we don't let families come in to watch their loved ones get procedures like colonoscopies, just because there's a lot going on there. The, there's a lot that's hard for someone who isn't you know, very accustomed to the situation. It's hard for medical students or residents who come in to watch us to know what's going on, much less someone who has no experience. That, that, that seems a bit ex- extreme. I, you know, when you first brought up the subject, my thought, the thing I was most concerned about was that I enjoy reading good notes, like reading good medical notes is yeah. like a real joy to me when, yeah. when you see like, and it's usually like one of these older docs who like writes in their real voice, you know, and they, you can hear them talking and they'll be like, well, personally, I believe this. And then also my long conversation with him was about this and we discussed this and, and to be honest, I don't know exactly what's happening. You know, I love notes that actually have someone's real voice. My fear about this, my only real fear about this, is that it's going to cause doctors to write a lot more tersely, a lot more like medical legally, which I don't think is a great way to approach medicine ever. But right. like, I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to lead for more boring notes. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> It's yeah, I like in your imagination. I think that the the doctor, the old the old timey doctor, has like a southern drawl. In my yeah, opinion, got, I'm, my, I'm just no, a simple country doctor. I'm just I'm a just caveman a simple, lawyer. Yeah, I'm yeah. just a caveman doctor. What? Yeah. Um, yeah. that's my that's my fear. I don't I don't know. Yeah. And we um, we can't take away the infectious disease specialist's ability to make such <laughs> lo- wonderful novellas. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's just, you know, just reduced to this uh, medical legal jargon, I mean, that's, that's, that's such a, a cornerstone of medicine is, is reading those infectious disease notes. Tragedy. It's a tragedy if that happens. 
You know, a way to tie in the COVID stuff, and I don't know if this makes sense. You know, there's so much, um, we've talked a lot on our show about moral burnout, you know, uh, moral distress and um, and burnout in general with um, just COVID and 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 trying to connect with patients virtually and and do all these and, and learn virtually because we're also always learning and, and participating in lectures. But I also worry that this new Open Notes will put this added pressure because I feel it already onto us, the physicians to um, process, communicate and, you know, reach out to the patients as soon as we get a result, result back. You know, when I saw a result, some blood work, for example, I was like, oh, if it's 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. and I'm just feeling tired, I'm going to go home. I'm going to do this tomorrow. But now I feel this sense of like, oh, shit, the patient's going to see that and then they're going to get pissed at me that I didn't write them right away or communicate to them that their labs are normal, their labs are abnormal, what are the next steps? And I, I, I worried that for the community that that's going to be an added stressor. Like I feel like this is a terrible time when people are sort of getting back into work and back, I hope, into some routine that, you know, and, and the stressor of COVID maybe is diminished that this now is just an added terrible. I, I, I think the concept is good, but I think the timing and maybe some of the some of the lack of boundaries is, is not great for the medical community. No, I point. also worry about people kind of following all of this information without necessarily understanding what it means. Yeah. Um, and I, I think back to kind of like the Theranos debacle <laughs> and how people were kind of just picking and choosing lab tests that they wanted to run. Um, and then they were getting the result and being left dealing with their sodium level and their thyroid hormones and that kind of thing. Um, and I'm, I'm not really sure where, where people are going to go with that, but it seems like it's going to be ripe for uh, problems in terms of health misinformation. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people Googling things again. That's always been the problem, but it's going to continue. It's only going to get worse. Um, yeah. But again, some good parts to it. I mean, getting rid of some of the language that we need to get rid of, like Ryan mentioned, and and giving patients more ownership over their health. I think there's some potential in it. So, um, all right, let me switch the the topics a little bit here. Uh, but talking about COVID still, you guys are both fully vaccinated, right? Yes. So, I hope so you're me, lying if you're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... So what are you, you, the CDC came out with guidelines telling, you know, saying what they think people who are vaccinated should do. And what, what are you guys doing currently differently now that you've gotten your vaccines? What are you personally doing differently? Well, um, I, I really don't, actually, I'm not really doing anything different. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm still, I, I wear a mask everywhere I go. Um, you know, outside of the house. And I, um, uh, you know, in general, like, d despite the what might appear on social media for me, I'm actually a very introverted person. And so uh, I, I, I don't like big groups like anyway. And so I'm more than happy to, to stay home. The, the, uh, the, the um, pandemic and kind of being stuck inside the house hasn't been that big of a deal for me. So honestly, I haven't, uh, I haven't changed my my habits at all. Ryan, you're young and hip. You're our, you're our connection to the youth. Yeah, right. What what are you doing? Well, this is the first time coming on this show. I felt comfortable taking off my mask. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, um, 
But no, I don't think I've, I, I've done really much different. I think uh, knowing people who are fully vaccinated, like I, I can meet up with them, I guess, but it still is really not, not that many people. Um, so, I mean, the biggest difference in my life is my mom, who um, I won't say how old she is, but uh, she got her second dose of vaccine several weeks ago. And so I was able to hang out with her, give her a hug. And that was really nice because it's been literally a year um, but other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm still wearing my mask to go everywhere. I'm not, not doing anything differently right now. I'm hopeful though. What about, uh, dining inside? Have you guys done that? Have you guys, are you guys dining at restaurants at all? Let me start with that. No, just, just take out. What, what about you, Ryan? You go, you go into restaurants at all? Um, I've gone to some outdoor places since the weather has been better here in Cleveland, although well, there's never really that good in Cleveland. <laughs> um, but no, I don't think I feel comfortable going indoors um, at this point. Uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to the warm weather. And once more people are vaccinated, I think that's something that will be available. But not at this point. What about you, Lizzie? I think you're probably a little bit different. I've definitely gone out to eat a lot. Um, mostly outdoor. Not a lot. I mean, compared to before, probably a couple times a month. Uh, lots of outdoor eating. Um, I have gone on planes. Any indoor? Yes, you went on planes, but you kind of had to do that. Have you done any indoor dining? Um, I have, but not a lot. It's hard for me to think about it, but I have in like very empty restaurants. Um, there's been like one other people and, and I've only done it as a vaccinated person with vaccinated people in my, in my group. Um, so I feel because I'm vaccinated, I'm not going to die from COVID. That's pretty much the take home with vaccine vaccines. So another plug for vaccines. Um, we don't know a ton about transmission, but, um, you know, I'm as I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I, you know, I wear masks indoors, but then I'm eating. So I take the masks off. Um, but I definitely have eaten indoors, um, as a vaccinated person. And I'm, super confident about that and i don't really care if people are lunatic yeah i don't really care if people judge it um you can go fuck yourself (laughs) you seem so defensive right now i'm I'm okay no it's not about you it's not about you although i know you don't um it's other people i think that people are not okay with it and that's that's their own stuff you know it's it's not and i don't feel burdened by other people's um you know, stress about it. Perceptions. Sure. No, it is, it is funny. Like when I eat at a restaurant as a vaccinated person, I'm like, I feel pretty confident. I feel pretty good about it. When I eat outside, I don't eat indoors, but I eat outside. But if I like walk by a restaurant, I see people inside eating. I'm just like, you fucking lunatics. What's wrong with you people? Even though they're probably fully vaccinated and safe, et cetera. I'm like, if they're not vaccinated, I think they're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The CDC released some information today that's actually really encouraging that less than 1% of fully vaccinated individuals get COVID. So the concern about vaccinated individuals still transmitting it, I think it sounds like if you're vaccinated and the people around you are vaccinated, there's not really any reason you well, need, need, to, need yeah. to worry at this point. It's just kind of the other people who aren't vaccinated yet should still be worried. I've read enough and heard enough now about people who have been vaccinated who've gotten COVID, um, but they do fine. So I don't, you know, whether if they right. don't get it, amazing. If they do get it, right. meh, I don't want to get a cold either, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it All should right. be. Fair, 
Fair enough. Okay, I have one last question for you guys. Um, what I want, and, and Lizzie, I don't know if you're going to understand the premise of this question as much because you don't. Because I'm a girl. Time. Because I'm a girl. Because you're because you're a lady. And we're going to talk about man <laughs> stuff here. Okay. No, um, this is something Twitter, about social media, um, and Instagram and Facebook too. But you're not really because you're do a much. normal person. You're not on any of those things really. But the there is this recurrent debate and it's about the word provider it's in the medical community and it's about the term provider and to be honest with you i don't know what the fuck it's about oh see you and i are on the same page because i don't know what you know i i see the argument come up every now and then and i'm just like my brain's like nope i got too much i don't want to deal with this i i'm putting this on the back burner i'm gonna wait till ryan comes on to explain it to me so the first question I have is, what is this debate about the term provider and why, if at all, should I care about it? What, can you explain to us what it is? Me? Well, you know, Will is busy doing TikToks and stuff. Well, I think You're fighting the, the Twitter fights. I need to know what this is about. I've gotten, I've gotten in some provider fights. Yeah. Will, I think, had the best, the best take I've seen on it was seeing the provider debate for the first time and seeing the provider debate for the 4,000th time and how it's horrible so and aging it is. Yeah. So, 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 so tell, us, tell us what it is because our listeners, most of them are not on Twitter. Uh, okay. So I'll, really- I'll do my best because I, I come from the perspective of, of this is the, such like a bullshit argument that that's just takes up space and time in people's lives. And it's something that comes up on social media. Like, I swear, like every three months, Oh yeah, Some, I see it all the it time. It happens, and then it goes away after a while, and then it comes back in. But anyway, uh, my understanding is that there are a a large number of physicians uh, who are very upset when when you refer to them as a provider. Um, and there's a couple arguments that I hear about that. One is blurring the lines for patients about what a doctor is, like who's a doctor, who's not a doctor who's a nurse practitioner or a, or a physician assistant, you know, just like blurring the lines by calling all of them providers, how are patients going to know, you know, who is who. Um, which I, I think is kind of dumb because uh, when you're, when you're talking about provider, I, I feel like um, in this context, it's really like healthcare people talking to other healthcare people and just, you know, saying provider as for a group of healthcare uh, professionals that take mm. care of patients and it's really not in my experience in like a patient setting um, but anyway the the other argument uh, you hear is is for is from people who and this is an even crazier argument to me um, that think that using the word provider makes it seem like uh, we provide like a service like we're we're salespeople something and 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 like uh patients are our clients it's like a like using the word providers a slippery slope to calling patients clients yeah. and a, as like a business transaction type of thing right so anyway it, and it just it just you know goes from there and it and it's it's stupid in my yeah opinion. it's sound i've not heard this argument um it sounds super stupid and not worth yeah. anyone's time and just you know as a doctor i do feel like i'm in the customer service industry a hundred percent doesn't mean i commodify the patient it does mean though that i'm often trying to figure out 
not what their needs are, but what their desires are, you know? And, um, yeah. I, I, you know, I can say, I don't think you have cancer. And then they're like, but you know, you're not dying. You don't have anything. And they're like, yeah, but, 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 and I'm like, okay, well, let's figure out what we can do for you. And, and I do, I feel like I have to, I don't know. It sounds terrible to kiss ass a little bit. Like I want them to feel heard and I want them to feel like I'm invested, even if they're totally healthy. And I know that, you know, and that shouldn't, shouldn't necessarily be part of our job, but it is. So I do feel like that the customer service part of it. No, no. I I know that that's how it (laughs) is, how the game is played. I know that, but I'm just saying that that is the quality that makes it seem like we are providing care and encouragement and, and, you know, like nurturing, like we're doing, we're providing a lot of things. So I think provider is okay. And if you don't want to be called it, then don't, you know, fuck yeah. Anyone who writes prescriptions has to be identified in a national provider database anyway. So it's kind of a moot point. Um, if you really, really tease it back, there are some issues kind of in the practice of medicine that people have and some maybe very minor, relatively uh, concerns that, that do exist. But this provider debate is really just kind of a way to disparage other people on the healthcare team and to kind of promote infighting without benefiting any patients in any way. Uh, and what's really sad is that people will now compare it to like Nazi attacks. Um, being called a provider is the same as the Holocaust in some people's eyes. And those people- Never those a good people, play, never a good play. Argument. Yeah. Those people are just crazy. Like that, <laughs> there's no reasoning with anyone who thinks that or talks like that. Um, and this debate to me is kind of like when I say, can you pass me a Kleenex? And someone is like, oh no, it's not Kleenex, it's facial tissue. <laughs> I'm like, no, just give, <laughs> just give it to me. Uh, like this is such a stupid point to care about. If, if your whole worth depends on being called a provider or a doctor, then you have serious issues that aren't going to be solved by being called a doctor. All right. Now I feel much better about yeah. never paying attention to this argument. Yes. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Ryan Marino, uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for uh, successfully clearing up all the misunderstandings about fentanyl and other drugs. I think you've done your job. You can quit Twitter now. There's no further misunderstandings regarding fentanyl and other medications. Strong work. Um, Dr. Wolf Lannery, thank you for your TikTok videos. They are incredibly entertaining i know you must be so annoyed with people asking you to do like their specialty you're not hearing me ask you to do gi it's unnecessary (laughs) don't worry i understand there are no possible jokes you can make about the world of gi can't Um, think of one i agreed and it would be boring so why even do it um thank you both so much for joining us uh before you guys go um please give us your pluggables so uh ryan where can people find you um, I'm on Twitter at Ryan Marino, one word. And Dr. Wolf Flandry, otherwise known as Dr. Glockenflecken. Yeah, I'm, I'm at on Twitter at D Glockenflecken or and on TikTok, uh, both of those just uh, Glockenflecken, spell it like it sounds easy. And um, uh, let's see, I'm on Cameo as well. I'm doing that as part of a fundraiser for uh, a charity I'm involved with uh, called First Descent. Those are great, by the way. Your cameos are, you're putting a little extra in. I appreciate that. You, a lot of cameos right, are really quick. They're very unpersonalized. 
you you give a little time and effort to your to your cameos. I really respect that. So I, I highly recommend. It. It's a great cause. It's super funny, and it's like you know a little bit of if you own a little piece of uh, Doctor Glockenflecken, you're in good shape. Um, all right, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you so much. How about now? Is that is that getting better or worse? Better. better. That's better. Yeah. Do you like that? Yeah. <laughs> is that, yeah. No, that's does that do it. it for you right there? Don't stop. <laughs> is that good? You're almost there. Is the ganja no, legal? Nothing's legal in Ohio. <laughs> um, Everything's legal in Jersey. I like sure. that Ryan organizes your books based on color. That's it's, a unique, that's a unique way to it's, organize it's, your books. It's very, it's nice. It's soothing. It's beautiful. It good. doesn't make any sense to me. We could talk about that. <laughs> like it makes zero sense. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified healthcare provider for your specific healthcare needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.